Aloha and welcome to the Woman on Fire podcast. I'm Daniela and as usual with your co-hosts here today, Jamie and Coral Estelle, our newest co-hosts. And we have yet another special guest today that we have really been looking forward to connecting with and hearing her story. And I'd like to invite her here. Jessica, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Yeah. Thank you. I'm really excited to share what I have. I'm looking to, or I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Sorry. Jamie sent a message. We don't share the video. I got distracted. Just FYI. It's just audio. (laughs) Um, Awesome. Well, Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Let the world know who you are, what you're about, what your passions are. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, I'm Jessica. I'm a stay-at-home mom with five children. Four of them were born at home. And um, my first one was uh, uh, attempt at a free birth. And I transferred to the hospital from exhaustion. And that was just like a whole mess. But um, I unschool all of my kids. They're basically nature schooled. They roam the wild all day, every day. Uh, we live up on the mountain outside of a major city. Um, but I'm also a midwife. I have a very low volume practice. I'm pretty much word of mouth. And I tend to tend to all of the women who fall between the cracks or are outside of the regulations or comfort zones of the other midwives. And yet they're determined that they're going to have an autonomous home birth. And that tends to be my clientele. Um, so I have a pretty strong passion about autonomy and women making choices for themselves based on how they feel about it rather than some arbitrary guidelines or textbook knowledge so that sounds like we're attracted to each other (laughs) for real right oh my goodness so it sounds like we could probably record a lot of podcasts together actually (laughs) um thank you for sharing that you know uh, when I reached out to you, it was because you had just made a post online about your your maybe toddler, maybe five. I don't know your forty, your baby that went to forty five weeks. Um, mm-hmm. How old are they? They're about five. Six tomorrow. Ah, okay. Well, you had just made a post saying that they asked if they're adopted and you're like oh child I carried you for 45 weeks you most certainly are not (laughs) adopted (laughs) at all and you know it's just haha but you posted that um, around the same time that I was with the mom that was that ended up going to you know 44 and 6 and you posted that on Facebook so we're friends on Facebook, but truth be told, I don't think we've ever met. I'm like, who is this lady that I have friended that's talking about this topic? And it's coming up right when I'm dealing with this. What, what is this weird wizardry of Facebook that I love? And it's very bizarre, though. Um, so that's how we came together. And that's about as much as I know about you and that you're a midwife. <laughs> so it's exciting to hear what you shared that... Um, it's uh sounds like we have some very similar values <laughs> yeah that's funny I had no idea we were friends on Facebook honestly <laughs> it's just like I just got your message yes somehow you popped up in my feed and I'm so grateful for it um right. well yeah you know that's 
kind of the story that intrigued me right off the bat is that you went to 45 weeks um, with one of your babies, but um, I'll invite you to just dive into it of your pregnancies of gestating for longer than is often heard of. Um, just start wherever you wish. Yeah, yeah. I'll just kind of briefly, briefly touch on each of them. But of course, that one was the most interesting, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I got pregnant pretty easily with my first and I just kind of actually if I'm being honest I freaked out and I was like telling my husband I'm pregnant it's been six days I have to find somebody to do something because that's what people do you know and I freaked out and I actually ended up calling a local midwife and I was like ah I, I found that I was pregnant like three days ago what do I do I was freaking out and she said um, you're moving, aren't you? Because we were moving to Montana at the time. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, we're moving. But you know, I got to see someone now. And she said, basically, chill out. She said, you know, women have been having babies since the beginning of time, you need to just be a family, move, get settled in, and find a midwife when you get there or don't like you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, like, she just kind of grounded me back in probably what I already knew. But um, that was that was interesting. And that kind of launched me down this path of home birth. And I decided that um, I was gonna have a home birth. And around like 38 weeks, my mom came out, she was staying with me and my sister was staying with me and we were like ready because this is when babies come and 38 weeks and 39 weeks go by. And I was seeing a hospital-based midwife for prenatal care but planning like a secret free birth. And I was like gonna be a rebel and no one was gonna know about it. 41 weeks rolled around. I went to a prenatal. She was like, oh, you're still not in labor. We're going to plan your induction. And I said, ha ha. Yeah, go ahead. Plan it. Like I'll have a baby by then, you know, and I go home and 42 weeks goes by in 42 and one, I went to Yellowstone and did a hike to a waterfall with 350 stairs <laughs> one way. So 700, I guess each way. And I was going to put myself into labor and I <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Yeah. strong woman good job <laughs> we were walking miles every day I ate an entire pineapple I bounced on a ball for hours a day I used clary sage until I ran out I was taking all the cohoshes my sister was like sitting on the couch across from me like squeezing pressure points on my feet for hours on end like I was 42 weeks in a day and the baby has to come out now. Like this is how long you could possibly stay pregnant for. So if I do these things, I'm going to have a baby. That was the only option. And that did not happen. And I had a lot of contractions, but I did that. And I stayed awake for three days doing that and ended up just so exhausted and dehydrated that I cried and I went to the hospital and I was put on Pitocin for like two hours and I slept with some, I don't know, medication and it was a horrible experience. And I spent the next two days after I had the baby fighting medical professionals and putting my body in between nurses and my baby who are coming at my baby with needles that I already told them no. And it was, and my husband and I vowed to never ever do that again. And so I decided to never try to force myself to go to labor again. Um, luckily my Next baby came at 42 weeks to the day by herself and she was a home birth and it was very easy. Then I got pregnant again 
And I told myself, I have my babies around 42 weeks. That's my gestation. It's happened twice in a row. The first time, yeah, maybe it was forced, but the second time wasn't. And it was 42 weeks to the day. So I just gestate 42 weeks. So 42 weeks came and I'm getting ready. I'm going to have a baby and she's transverse. I was like, baby, you can't come out that way. You know, and I had, this was, I was planning, um, I was planning a free birth this time because we lived in North Dakota and the midwife who I loved in Nevada told me she could not travel to North Dakota. <laughs> and the midwives that I spoke to in North Dakota um, just basically said they, they couldn't honor my wishes of being completely untouched. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna be by myself then. And I was planning a free birth. And at 42 weeks, my baby was transverse. And I was just like frustrated because they can't come out that way. But I figured, okay, so you're telling me you're not ready? 43 weeks came. By this time, I'm like crying every night, like just get out. And she was laying a little crooked and oblique. Um, but I wasn't a midwife at this time. I had a fetoscope. I was learning. I was doing education and different schools and workshops and stuff, but I wasn't a midwife yet. Yeah, I was um, going to ask you where the midwifery sort of like intertwined into this journey. When did you start, sorry, to like sidetrack or backtrack just a little smidge? When did you get start get interested in midwifery through your first pregnancy? Um, so after my first baby was born, I started attending birth as a doula. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And then as I was doing that and just like kind of getting all that secondary trauma from hospital birth and really desiring to attend more home births, yeah. I doing um, midwifery school and workshops and education that way. And it got to a point um, to where I was attending hospital births as a doula with the education book wise of a midwife and saying and doing a lot of things that overstep my scope as a doula like oh your doctor is telling you that but it's not true like let's just go home you know and I was like okay this is uncomfortable so I kind of stopped attending hospital births at that point shortly after my second child was born um, but then we then we relocated uh, like to North Dakota and um, so here I am 43 weeks pregnant with my yeah. third baby <laughs> Um, we were living in an RV in a fifth wheel in, um, in like a little construction yard on the reservation in, outside of Newtown, North Dakota. And I was just very, very pregnant. And every day went by and I was just like, man, this, this is crazy. And I used to tell people as a doula, like people, um, people just date to however long, but you'll probably never be pregnant longer than 43 weeks in a couple of days. Like that'll probably never happen. And uh, it was a midwife that told me that to reassure me when I was coming up to 42 weeks with my second pregnancy. And she was right. I didn't, I didn't just date to 43 weeks or beyond. So I figured she had, you know, maybe she was right. So I would tell my clients all the time, you'll probably never go beyond 43 weeks. Your baby will probably come up by then. So every time I say something like that to somebody, my next experience defies it. So I've stopped saying things to people. Um, yeah. So then I was 43 weeks and three days, the magical gestation that you'll never be pregnant beyond. I fell asleep and woke up the next day pregnant and cried. <laughs> and again, my mom was, she had come to visit. Um, 
with my sister and I had friends over and everyone's like waiting for me to have a baby. Uh, and I realized that that's not a very easy way for me to have a baby. I can't, I can't, I can't align myself when people are waiting on me. So when my mom came from out of state and she had commitments around the time that I would have been 44 weeks. So, you know, it's like, oh, I got to have this baby before my brother had a gymnastics competition, like before that thing, cause she has to go and she wanted to be here for the birth and whatever. And it just wasn't happening. So she ended up leaving at around 44 weeks and I, in my giant pendulous belly waddled my way to the chiropractor and was just like, do something. Um, to which she did something that did nothing. And um, I think the biggest question I get regarding like this stage, like, okay, 44 weeks and the baby's not coming. Like, when are they gonna do something? How long will they let you stay pregnant? And um, my response was always snarky because I was hormonal and uncomfortable. And I wanted my baby out more than anyone else. Like I did not wanna be pregnant at 44 weeks, you know? Who else? Who else but me wants my baby out more than I do? So I would just be like, there is no they. And I would just get really rude about it. But um, I honestly, like when I'm being really honest with people deep down, like I wanted to find something wrong so that the risks of induction would no longer outweigh the risk of being pregnant. Because when we look at those risk factors of being pregnant beyond a certain gestation, um, it is, there is an increased risk, just the same as every time you get in a car, you have a risk of being in a car accident. And if you get in a car more times than your neighbor, your risk of being in a car accident is higher than your neighbor's. So pregnancy in and of itself has risk associated with it. So of course, the longer we're pregnant, the higher that risk is just due to the fact that you are pregnant for a longer time. Um, and so I, and, but however, I understood that the risk of forcing a birth, the risk of induction, the risk of cesarean is also a valid concern. So I would tell myself that um, I, I wasn't gonna add risk where there wasn't risk. I would accept the risk that's there, but I'm not gonna increase it by doing something. Um, but I would lay at night and listen to her heartbeat for hours like waiting to hear something because I so wanted a reason that I could justify to get her out because I was so uncomfortable and so upset with the fact that I was still pregnant and I like that's I think that's kind of a hard thing for me to admit to people because I want to tell my clients like oh just relax pregnancy is beautiful and you know enjoy these last days but like in reality I wasn't enjoying it at all I, I was listening for something to be wrong with her so that I had an excuse to go like get help and get her out and nothing would happen. There was nothing. It was very straightforward. She was very healthy. She was and how are you, other than being uncomfortable, how were you like your body was doing okay. You, everything like clinically you were fine. I was begrudgingly so fine. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. And there were some times actually around probably 37 weeks where my fluid would go to like virtually nothing. And I didn't have ultrasounds, but I could feel my baby with my hands. And she was very much a shrink wrapped baby that I could not 
Like she was not palatable. And I have elder midwives that I reach out to on a regular basis. And I would ask them like, this is what's happening. And I got advice from somebody to um, drink like a quart of milk a day or something like that. And I, I did it and added salt and added milk. And then whoop, there you go. My fluid would come back up. And so I can speculate all day long, but I have this theory that around the time babies are really developing their lungs and like using that amniotic fluid to like develop their breathing capabilities that perhaps hers was slowed down and then had to catch back up. But who knows? We can develop theories all day long. I also had a very pendulous belly and she was in all sorts of weird positions and people were waiting on me and all the things that make it very hard to have a baby. So 44 weeks rolls around and I'm still healthy and she's still healthy. And I'm still sad that I don't have a baby in my arms. <laughs> um, and then I remember the day I was 44 and six or something and I started getting, you know, little twinges and I was so excited. But then I was also in denial because I was like, no, like my baby's not coming out. I'm not even convinced it's a baby anymore at this point. Um, but my friend was over for dinner and she just looked at me and she's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to take my kids and my husband, we're going to leave. I was like, where are you going? I'm fine. You know, whatever. Um, but she was right. And that was, that was the night I sat in the chair by myself for a while. Like all my husband, all the kids went to bed. I sat in the chair listening to Ed Sheeran <laughs> rocking through my pregnancy and through these waves that were coming and they weren't going away um and then about 2 a.m rolled around and i hit a moment where i started panicking because i had a horrible experience of a hospital birth which was obviously a land birth and then my second baby that came out so easily and wonderfully at barely seven pounds was a water birth and so when i started getting to that point, probably around eight centimeters that I was like, oh my God, this sucks. I had this thought that like, I can't have a baby without water. That's not, I can't do that. Like I tried that once, it didn't work. Then I tried water and it worked and I cannot have this baby without water. So I shook my husband awake and I made him fill up a swimming pool inside of a fifth wheel, which took hours because we had a very small water heating tank. And I was just like panicking, like you have to get it filled up. And I like her labor was so much more intense than my second baby. And it was feeling a lot like the first one that I just like had this idea in my mind that the only way I could finish this is, is if he would just fill that freaking pool. It was just taking so long. And then I leaned against the counter and kind of did a squat and my water broke and I could feel her head in my pelvis. And I was like, oh no, she's coming. And I just jumped into the knee high pool because that's where she had to come out. Um, and I pushed for quite a while with her. She was, she was very, very large. Um, I remember feeling kind of pushy at the peak of a contraction, but it didn't, um, it wasn't like a like a real push and the contractions were still so intense. It just like really was messing with my head. And then at some point I could feel her head actually coming out. And I know I'm like cussing in the video and I'm like, this baby's huge, you know, and I can feel her like 
twisting and turning through my pelvis, which was such a new um, sensation for me because this was my first free birth. My previous births had been attended by somebody and the, I was so distracted that I didn't really have much connection with what was going on inside of my pelvis. So for this one to be able to feel like every place one of her bones hit one of my bones and I could accommodate that like actually in my head not just not just as going with the flow but like I could actually feel okay her this bone's hitting that bone I'm gonna move this way um and then her head came out and my husband said her head's out and I asked him which way it was facing I don't know why I cared because probably because it was really intense and then I could feel the like sheer size of her shoulders in my pelvis and I yelled out, this baby has massive shoulders. And I had two contractions and she wasn't coming and she wasn't coming. And remember, I wasn't a midwife at this point. So I don't, I tell this story and women say, yeah, yeah, but you were a midwife. Like, but I wasn't, I wasn't, I was just completely undistracted. Nobody was telling me what to do or how long I was allowed to be pregnant or whatever. Um, but I could feel her just jamming on my pubic bone and not making those turns or like maybe she was trying but she was just like a loaf of bread and she just like couldn't turn she was so huge um that I, I ended up reaching down and I like just felt like kind of grabbing her head here and prying her um this way and it just like freed her shoulder and then she came out to her ribs and I go to turn around because I'm like, oh, she's out. And then I could feel her still in me. I was like, oh, gross. Like, felt like I had a tail. And then I like leaned back over and I had to push again. And then I got her to her hips and then I had to push again and her hips came out. I was like, this is a massive baby. And I'm not a big person. My other babies were barely, not quite seven pounds yet. And I'm five, four and one fifteen pre-pregnant. And she was almost 10 pounds. I was like, I lifted her up and she was holding her head up like a toddler. I was like, oh no, I had to be pregnant for 45 weeks and I don't even get a baby. Like I was so upset. <laughs> I love that you called her a loaf of bread. That was so cute. <laughs> it's like, it's like not, it's not like a key in the keyhole. Like in the videos they show you, you know, it was like a whole loaf of bread. <laughs> right. The baby comes out and does their little turn. Right. But no, she had to, her whole, <laughs> that's so cute. Yeah. 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 It was interesting. But so she was big. She really was a month old when she was born. And I really feel like had I been distracted by, you know, somebody else's rules or somebody else's comfort level or somebody checking my blood pressure or listening to the baby and blah, 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 which is, you know, what I do. So I kind of feel like a hypocrite telling my story sometimes, but I don't know if I would have been with it enough to like, you know, facilitate her entry into the world. I, I feel like there were times where it for sure would have been like held up, you know? Yeah, I just, I my story sounds very similar in that regard. I didn't just date super long, but I, um, I went through my whole pregnancy wondering, why don't I want someone there? I'm surrounded by all these midwives, have all these beautiful, wonderful women that know how to hold space and, um, but it it is it's that being able to just connect with baby and not have to resource yourself out so i love yeah. that love yeah that. Mm. wow well there it is there's the legendary story <laughs> it's it's like 
a unicorn. It's like, is it, it's like a legend that people hear about that epic myth of, is it true? Is it real? Has anyone actually gone to 43, let alone 44, what 45? It's kind of one of those mind blowing things that I don't think I thought I would ever experience. And who knows if I'll ever get to experience it in supporting someone else, you know, but, but here you are, you lived it. And, um, would you mind sharing about dates and how you navigated that and um and how maybe it was different between your different pregnancies of did you feel really certain with some of them maybe other ones you weren't so certain yeah I um so before she was conceived I had repeat miscarriages and kind of an ironic side topic my sister ended up living in the same house I was living in years years later and she had repeat miscarriages in that same house. So we definitely think there's some toxins in that house. But um, so I had eight miscarriages before I was pregnant with her. And then um, I I had always had very consistent periods or very consistently spaced with the same amount of days, like very consistent. Um, and then, you know, all the signs and symptoms of ovulation exactly two weeks after. So my cycles were very, very regular. Um, and but with her, I was maybe three days after ovulation. And I like could see my uterus swelling and like sticking up over my pubic bone. And I was like, oh, my goodness. So I took a pregnancy test and got a positive very, very, very early, probably five days after um ovulation. And so I had myself convinced through her whole pregnancy that I was two weeks further along than I thought. And so when I hit what would have been 47 weeks, had I been correct with that, I back and decided, no, that's not a thing. I'm only 45. And that's what I stuck with. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And you've had two other babies since this pregnancy. Did you, right? You have five total? Yeah, yeah, I have five. So um, yeah, so I got pregnant again a couple of years after she was born. And um, again, really sure on when my period was. And, you know, when I actually know the day I conceived with her because I did not want to have a baby at the time. And I told my husband, he was working overseas or not overseas. Oh gosh, sorry. I grew up military. He was working out of state. And I told him, Hey, the day you come back, I'll be ovulating. So like, be careful, you know, and we were trying to use it. And he was like exhausted when he got back, but just like, so excited to see me and failed that mission miserably. And I said, I told you I was ovulating. And this is probably way TMI, but I think it's hilarious. He was like, Oh no, I forgot. Get it out. Get it out. And he was like, what do you do? Can you, you do nothing? You do nothing. It's over. I'm pregnant. Like that's <laughs> done. Sorry. That's the day it happened. So I was just like, you know, I knew, I knew that day. And then I had convinced myself that I'm a 42 week gestator and that Hazel, my third was just a freak of nature. I was like, she's just she's just a freak but you know I'll just be pregnant 42 weeks that's how long I gestate for and 42 weeks came and she was breech and we live an hour outside of civilization so if I needed medical help it's an hour away so 
So I was like, I'm gonna have a breach baby on the mountain. Oh my gosh, by myself, because I'm 42 weeks and here she comes. No, no, she hung out in there till, um, oh, it wasn't quite as long. What was she? 43 plus five, I think. Oh, that was all? <laughs> just a shorter pregnancy <laughs> I, it was I, I was still a little annoyed but yeah she did end up coming up before 44 and that made me happy and she came out head down so I was gonna ask did she take that week to reorganize herself <laughs> she did for sure but when I was about eight months pregnant with her my six-year-old choked really bad on a little toy and he was unconscious and he went through all the colors to silver and it was chest compressions and all the things um, for like, it took us like 20 minutes to like get him back. Uh, and so that I was, I was working on him pregnant with that one. And so I'm sure she had a lot of like emotional stuff going on. She actually, that's a whole nother story. If you want to talk about autonomous birth in the face of risk um because yeah there were a lot of things that happened that as a midwife I would have transferred myself and after her birth realized she had a concealed placental abruption and um she was really anemic and hypotoned for like a really long time and that was like a big that was like a big deal as a mother to like take full responsibility for her um and do what I thought was right because I didn't think that putting a um anemic hypotonic baby in a car seat for an hour was the right choice um so yeah, that was the whole thing about, you know, treating her myself and getting, getting the right people who I knew could come to me and doing all the things to like help her, um, at birth and then beyond as well. But yeah, so she gestated for quite a while. And then the one after that, I was like, whatever, screw it. Like, I'm just never going to have a baby. I gestate for, you know, an entire year. That's my expectation. Um, but she ended up coming at, um, 43 and 40, 43 and three or something like that, like 43 and a half. But that one's actually funny because um, all of my babies had a seven in their birth date. I had July 7th and then I had November 17th and then I had November or January 17th and they were all like sevens. And so the seventh day of the month was coming up. It was, I was like, oh, well, I feel kind of twingy. I'm losing mucus plug and it's like April 4th. So I bet this baby's going to come April 7th. Like that's going to be it. Cause that's what I do. This baby came April 9th. <laughs> and I <was> like, uh. <laughs> Every time I say something, you know, they do something different. <laughs> Yeah. And then she came out in a um, like military occipital transverse position and she tried to take my cervix with her. My friend who was there said she could see my cervix on the rim of her head and she was about to do something. But then I reached down and I felt my cervix and I rolled it back up over her head and then pushed her out. That was wild. Wow. That's <laughs> wow. amazing. That's amazing really wild yeah this one was like coming no matter what and I'm actually not sure about her dates well I know when my period was so if we're counting that based on a period then yes but I had been doing like natural family planning and then pull out during fertile windows and for her my husband and I were not in a great place we had had sex one time the entire month and it was like it was like solidly fine like no cervical mucus cervix was super high and hard and tightly closed and 
Um, I was not within even the right time frame to have been ovulating. And she was just coming. Like she didn't care what the circumstances were. This baby was there and she was coming. And um, I, I didn't even like, normally I'm very in tune, but with this one, I had reached cycle day 36. And I was like, why am I on cycle day 36? Mm -hmm. I'm not pregnant. That's not possible. And I took a pregnancy test and it was like a flaming positive. I was like, oh, great. I am pregnant. <laughs> um, but her, her birth actually in a weird roundabout way that um, included our whole family getting MRSA and homeopathics and all sorts of things like actually healed my husband and saved our marriage. And so her name is Poppy because we have wild poppies all around us that are one of like the most medicinal supposedly poppies. Um, and the, their profile is you'll either like have the best experience and the best healing of your life or you'll die. Like if you use those. Oh God. <laughs> oh, I thought that was fitting for her name. Yeah. Talk about risk. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You just are have been living quite an adventurous life Jessica tell <laughs> <Hell> you <laughs> wow. wow so how old's your oldest child um he'll be 11 in July so I guess he's 10 and a half okay okay wow that's amazing mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> are they calling you now <laughs> puppy is she heard oh. your name <laughs> popcorn thank you oh how sweet yeah we're just talking about her right yeah. yeah so you mentioned earlier about the how your path as a mother and eventually that led you into midwifery and how you were gradually building your knowledge of midwifery by the time you had your third baby you were still learning um just curious if you could speak to how this has influenced your approach to midwifery and how do you navigate these conversations of midwife um, these conversations with the woman knowing what kind of care and support you need for yourself versus what other people need um, how do you navigate that dance between responsibility and role of you know because that was one of the biggest challenges honestly when I was with this woman recently um, everything was great and well but I had to be very clear often because I wanted to make sure I knew where she stood and what she was expecting of me and make sure that she was taking responsibility in this decision making of wanting to continue and not just continuing with the long pregnancy just because I wasn't just giving her orders of like, just go in. We can't stay at home anymore. Like I wasn't going to do that, but I kept reminding her that it's up to you. You know, if you still feel fine at home, I will keep supporting you. Everything that I can check out is normal. Um, however, if you feel like you want to go in, that's also appropriate. That's right. That's fine. I don't want you to feel dogmatic. Like we need to stay at home because of this ideal vision we have. So, you know, that, that dance between yeah. responsibility level, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, that's actually my 
biggest struggle, if I'm being completely honest, because I just have this like, I have this wish and this hope and this prayer for all women to to be the kind of woman that takes complete 100% responsibility for herself and for her baby. And the fact of the matter is that in our culture, they don't. And they being like the, the majority of women in our society. And I think I might have um, maybe an easier time because I live somewhere where the like we have lots and lots of midwives there are like 53 midwives in my state or something like that and over 30 of them are in my city so I don't really live in a place where I have to take 30 births a month because there are so many options for the women here and so I tend to stay very word of mouth and because of that I feel like I attract women from the same circles. And so my main client base tends to mostly be women who come to me and they say, this is what I'm doing. I've spoke to three doctors and five midwives and nobody will support me, but I'm going to do it regardless. Like you can be there or not. I can have a free birth in my driveway. I don't care, but I would like you to be there. And to me, that's like, those are kind of like the words and the conversations that I look for um, when I'm taking on clients because, yeah, it's a very uncomfortable place to be in to have to practice in a way where I wouldn't even hire myself. But also, also coming to terms with the fact that not everybody even wants that level of responsibility. Like not everybody is going to keep their baby home with pertussis and be comfortable, you know, treating them, treating it themselves and things like that. Like I kind of had to battle with that for my first couple of years that like there's a reason people hire midwives and there's a reason I don't. And so to be that person that somebody hires because they do want to share that level of responsibility and accepting that position and accepting the fact that free birth is not something that everybody wants. And if they did, they wouldn't be hiring me for it. It is a really difficult battle and dance. So we have a lot of conversations. I share my stories a lot and I tend to use wording like, well, if it were me and my child and the level of responsibility and risk that I am willing to take because I trust myself and my instincts with my children, this is what I would do. However, it's perfectly normal and okay if you don't want to take on that much responsibility and you would rather err on the side of caution and you want to do X, Y, Z. And I present things like, you know, a platter. These are your choices this is what some women would do. This is what other women would do. And you guys know me and how crazy radical I am with certain things. And so you realize that this is probably what I would do, but also I totally support you if you don't do that. You know, like it's completely your decision. These are the reasons a doctor would tell you this. These are the reasons I didn't do that. And now it's up to you and just putting it back in their hands. But I also, I also really, feel like the the piece that's missing is the part um about is the educational piece 
because we tell women all the time, listen to your body, listen to your baby, you know, blah, blah, blah. However, I have so many women that go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started thinking about it. Like, they actually don't know what that means. Like, how does one, yeah, go, sorry. How does one listen to her body? The, these, like, these spiritual connection pieces are so lost in the society that we live in today. And so many generations ago that it's easy to read blogs and to feel really good and wear crystals on your neck and blah, blah, blah. But then when somebody's really telling you, like, you need to listen to your body to see for yourself how you even feel about this, like they don't know how to do that. And so I do a lot of coaching and education and like, I want you to spend one entire hour in complete silence with your hands on your belly and just wait. Because what I've realized is that when we have so much trauma and so many walls that keep us from being able to even tap into that intuitive side that every person with a womb has, um, it takes a long time for those to come down and it's uncomfortable and our brain tries to bounce from one thing to another and like we're so distracted. But, but if you block out an entire hour of complete silence, all of that distraction eventually will fizzle off and you'll be able to hear the little cues that your body is giving you and that your baby is giving you and you'll start feeling that connection. But for some women, it takes that daily and some women don't even realize that they've lost that connection. And so we actually have to be holding hands and walking them through how to regain what we all used to have in order for them to even be actually capable of making those decisions. So it's easy to say, listen to the woman, the woman's in charge, but are we, are we bringing her back to her roots and actually showing her how to be in charge is the big thing. Yeah. I love that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's uh, definitely something that, um, you know, we're pretty big, um, advocates for optional licensure and um because you know hawaii passed a law that has a very very narrow scope and you know things you get taught in school versus things that you get taught in a community or a community of wise women or um it they're different things you know right. so um and, and I do, I think we have prioritized so many other things over, a lot of people are uncomfortable with themselves. <laughs> it's hard to sit in silence, right? So totally, I totally. Great. I think that's really great that um, you encourage that and that you offer that as like part of your coaching of how to sit with your, sit with yourself, sit with your thoughts. Right, right. I also teach DIY prenatal classes. Um, because I think part of the disconnect we have with our bodies is this idea and the stipulation behind um, pregnancy care and how it's like this magical unicorn if I'm not capable, like I have to see someone who's had training and schooling and, you know, you got to listen to a doctor who went to school for this. And I'm like, okay, but you can do it yourself, you know, like you could gather that exact same information and the information that you need to interpret that data is at your fingertips. Like I actually started that kind of just as a rebellious thing, like not women should be doing their own prenatal care. This is ridiculous. And it developed into something that I feel like is really important because of the reaction I got from the families afterwards. They are just like so empowered 
and so amazed with the fact that like they can they can they can know about themselves by themselves like oh I can oh I can get that information like it's so simple like it is so simple and it's just built up on this high horse because of money or, or whatever I don't even know why but like it's not a big deal Oh, yeah, you are preaching to the choir, Jessica. We have <laughs> similar passions. That is very much so one of the things that we're fired up about as well. Um, it's just making sure the women know that they are capable of, of that the families, right? Jamie always says the knowledge belongs to the people. That's what it's about. Um, thank you for speaking to that embodiment piece as being key in this journey and being honest about uh, a bit of the challenge you find with this dance of being a midwife and how you would do things and what kind of support you need versus how you have to show up for different people. Um, because that's something, you know, it, it just kind of changes over time. There's not one answer to that. It's right. It's meeting people where they're at. And, and you know, sometimes there's people that we're just not the right fit for. Um, but still, we work with different kinds of people and, and meeting them where they're at and, um, you know, navigating this specific journey of going beyond that magical arbitrary 42 week line, you know, it, it's reflecting on how I have navigated that with families before. It's been different every time because each person's so different in their own confidence level. Yeah. And often my confidence level ends up matching their confidence level because of like, well, how much responsibility are they willing to take? How much are, can I see them relying on me for the answer or the constant reassurance that it's okay? I'm like, well, I can't really ever say that anything's ever always okay. Like, I mean, you know, right. generally speaking, these are reassuring signs, sure. <laughs> um, so sometimes I've had to be a little more assertive. There's been times where I'm like, I do think it's a great idea. Like I actually do want you to go in for all these extra tests and I may push them a little bit more whereas other times I'm perfectly fine just not doing them at all um you know if that's what the family wants to do and um it really depends on that embodiment piece and that's gonna have to be a whole nother podcast because <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it's really important yeah. and it's big yeah. 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 And I feel you on that. And I actually told a woman the other day um, when I don't remember what she was talking about specifically, but it had to do with how she um, she was just very obedient in her first pregnancy and just went along with everything the doctor said. And I said, well, hold on. I told her, like, I need to have enough faith in your ability to argue with me and to disagree with me in order for me to feel comfortable suggesting anything at all. Because if I feel like you're going to do whatever I say, just because I said it, that makes me very uncomfortable because I need you to also add, add your opinion and your instinct, because I don't believe my word is the end all be all. And I don't want you to believe that either. That makes me very uncomfortable. And I was like, I need you to be able to tell me I'm wrong if you feel like I'm wrong, right? That's literally what, like, the last paragraph of my informed disclosure agreement. It's like, don't agree with me just because I'm your provider. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to add that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you guys are maybe not in a politically neutral environment like I am. Um, luckily, I, we're, I'm in a little island of... Um, 
uh, unregulated midwifery. So I do get a lot of clients actually from surrounding states because of that. Um, but I, I imagine that it can be kind of difficult for you guys to navigate that side. It's uh, where it's, it's all going to uh, shift come this summer. So we have, we have a really narrow scope of licensure and then we have an exemption. And so um, we're, we've been working with the legislation and uh, you know, we're sort of in a weird demographic and geographic issue on our neighbor islands, right? We're on the main island, but so like there's lots of hospitals and things like that. Um, so how legislation gets done is often based in like whatever's happening on our busy island and forgetting about the fact that the neighbor islands really don't have access to, I mean, you're not even actually allowed to have a VBAC at the neighbor island hospitals. You have to come into our island. So we're fighting for traditional midwives to be able to continue to practice because there's already such a lack of access to care in general. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll see this summer what comes of that. Um, it's it's also it's is interesting being in the political scope and then also doing the work and um, knowing that you're in this little gray zone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but ultimately, like my whole theory is very much along the lines of where you know i mean it's it's the woman's um and the family's responsibility and i am definitely there to support them um and it's a reason why i don't really believe very much in regulation because each case is individual and you really have to um see who's like what the conversation is as it comes to the table right how much are yeah. they willing to accept their responsibility maybe then if they're not then this isn't the right path and those sorts yeah of oh. mm -hmm. yeah so licensure is very new here um so we were a more neutral place it was just legal and unregulated for a long time so um you know we got to then have a community where uh, birth was just birth and the woman chose for themselves. And that was, that's still very much so the climate because even with licensure, there's no defined scope at the moment. So we don't have the typical um, cutoffs and a list of things that risk people out um, as they do in most other licensed states. Um, and we're trying to make sure it stays that way, you know, and, and navigating the conversation with this mom who went to 45 weeks as well, she, you know, we were reflecting on that, that, you know, we don't want the decision of, you know, do I have to, what do I do after 42 weeks? We don't want that decision to be uh, made by some politician somewhere um, as it is in many states. Um, but when the decision isn't made for you, then it means you have to make that decision. And that doesn't mean it's easy. Sometimes it's still like kind of convoluted and it's decision-making and it's uh, internal reflection. And, and for some people, they kind of just, it's easier. They do someone want someone else to just make the decision because it's too hard to figure out what's the right thing to do. And in those moments, it's almost like there's not really a right or wrong. It's just whatever's true for you. And we're holding space for you to figure that out. And yes, sometimes that takes time. Um, so yeah, we hear a lot of fighting for people, you know, oh, to, autonomy to each their own, but also we got to be strong enough to 
embrace the fact that making our own decisions um, takes courage and we got to be able to own it. And what you said earlier, yes, not everyone can own it sometimes. And I get it. That's just hard sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And what owning it truly means is, is that if this doesn't end well, I accept that I made that decision. And, and I think that's you, an important detail. It is. And how do you speak to that with the woman without being that fear mongering provider yeah. that just threw the ba- dead baby card in their face, right? And mm-hmm. we hear, a, a, I mean, you may be hearing this as well sometimes in free birth communities, there's a lot of reflection. Like, oh, well, the worst part was that my midwife just kept trying to tell me to go in for tests or tell, tell me to do all these things to induce labor. And that was the worst part of having gone to 43 or whatever weeks. Um, and I was trying not to be that midwife, um, but while at the same time, still presenting all the options. Like, hey, I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I just want to make sure that you're aware of all the you know, options and, and, and be honest about possible risks, right? Because, um, you know, I've, it doesn't always go super smooth. It often does, but I can't guarantee it either way. So how to not yeah. be the provider that's not sharing all the information, but not fear mongering either. It's a delicate dance. Well, and I'm kind of coming to this point in my own mental struggle um, that perhaps we are coming at it from the, from the wrong angle because Uh, I don't feel like we know as much as we think we know. And for me to tell a woman, um, oh, if you, you know, if you want to make this choice, like these are your risks, like, do we actually, do we actually know that? Or, or is it that sometimes people die? Is it truly because of XYZ choice? Or, or is it because sometimes people die and that's kind of um because that is also the angle that the women who are trying to are taking um i've been i've been doing a lot of sharing on social media and in my circles and stuff about about this idea of this being a fact of life of um people people die when they're six weeks gestation people die when they're six weeks old people die when they're 92 years old when they're 22 years old people die in birth people die in labor um people die in car accidents yeah but we as a society have such a hard time accepting death right and and they're they're two sides of the same coin you know like there's it's pretty much the only guarantee (laughs) and the struggle that i had that kind of led me to this place was um when i when i was agreeing to attend a mom who was a v-back with a vertical incision and an anterior placenta And everybody in the entire world was telling me that I was crazy for quote, allowing this. Um, but this was a mom who said she would have a free birth if I didn't want to go. And she doesn't care one way or the other, but she would like me to be there. You know, that it was, it was that mom and that person who you just go to because you have to. And she was, you know, the right person for this. Um, but uh, when, when I'm researching all of these super risky things and all of this, and everyone always says, um, 
oh, what to be prepared for, you know, prepare for hemorrhage, prepare for resuscitation, prepare for this, prepare for that. What if this happens? What if that happens? And I just got to thinking like, we prepare for all of that stuff to happen anyway. And the craziest things that I've ever seen have been in the lowest risk moms who typically speaking providers wouldn't be telling her oh you know if you make this decision you're risking all these things happening and yet those are the things that happen to her and so why are we not just preparing for what we need to prepare for and teaching our moms that life and birth and postpartum and driving a car and getting an airplane and all of these things have risk and sometimes people die and sometimes people get hurt why is it always associated with some arbitrary situation when maybe that should just always be our understanding of life you know that's why i think it's important to that you i mean we were intrigued by your story of gestating longer because that's sort of the crux of it of like what what if but the reality is what if anything right and so and i always i often talk about you can't assume that if you would have done something differently that you would have any different outcome either right and and we would love to fantasize and imagine that like if i would have done something else but you don't actually know (laughs) so because because the reality is that you're where you're at regardless guide somebody's route out of the earth like people have people have time that they're here they have the time that they're leaving and I believe that um that everyone takes a different route in their exit but we can't we can't decide that that wasn't that person's time just because we didn't agree with the way they left and I know that sounds really like really unempathetic or it sounds I don't know it's it's a really unsensitive way of thinking but I, I just think it's the reality that yeah we can we can pinpoint a reason that somebody um was injured or somebody died but we can't actually say that something else would not have taken the place of that had we prevented that yeah the reality is our society doesn't have the healthiest relationship with birth or death we want to hypermedicalize and micromanage each one it used to happen at home more often and now neither one tends to happen at home and you know I have a an uncle who just passed away at 86 and and you know he not to dive into the COVID thing too much but you know he got COVID at the end and and then he passed and now everyone's really upset that that's what it was about and I'm like, uncle is 86 years old. That's like a full life. Like if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. And if we hadn't had the capacity to test, we would have just said, well, he, he, he just died of old age, you know, because that's just what happens when you're around 86 years old. But everyone's kind of hell bent on the fact that he was so healthy and strong and he would have kept living if it weren't for that darn C word, you know? Um, it's like, well, if it wasn't that it would have been something else eventually. Um, so making peace with birth is making peace with death. And that's perhaps the next stage of the, the birth renaissance that we're seeing globally. 
um, is re-embracing that side of the coin as well. Um, sometimes that part's harder, but thank you for pointing that out. And just, you know, it's like that saying goes that birth is as safe as life gets because life is inherently risky. It's just, you know, there's risk everywhere, every day. Um, you just got to live it. That's just right. a, yeah. People decide what risk we want to take. And, and so for all of these bugs in our ears and all of the opinions we get from everybody to feel like they have the authority to tell us which risks we're allowed to take or which risks are smarter than others or act like their side is completely sans risk, I think it's a little bit ludicrous. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Well, you have given us a spectacular hour of your life. And I got to say, I am so honored that you were willing to accept my invitation. You were so quick to say yes. You responded to my message as a stranger so quickly. Thank you for being up for this. And I'm truly in awe of you. And I'm really excited that in this world, you exist. <laughs> you spoke so eloquently to all these topics we're often getting at from different angles. And, and they're difficult topics to speak about and to really um, paint a clear picture for folks because they're huge and they're convoluted and there's this gray zone. And um, you did an excellent job at speaking and sharing it you've lived it you know it deep in your bones so I'm really grateful that you exist that you're the woman you are your kids are so freaking lucky to have you that's <laughs> so is your husband you're amazing thank you for your time um, um I'm glad to know that there's a midwife out in the world like you serve in the community oh thank you mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'm happy to anytime I just feel like I don't know. I feel like it's my mission to um, prove people wrong sometimes, but also I, it's my mission to like wake people up to what they're missing out on when they're just blindly following somebody because they have a medical degree. And if people were looking to connect with you, would you be um, interested in sharing how someone could maybe email you or check in if they were looking for some of that coaching or support or sisterhood yeah for, I do offer um I do some workshops here and there uh, I haven't in a while but I'm willing to schedule one if somebody wants and I offer um some like consulting for free birth or whatnot and then of course I'm also a midwife um and people can find that information on my website it's lv it stands for las vegas lv midwiferyservices.com and my email is jessica at lvmidwifreeservices.com. Amazing. Thank yes, you. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, and, and your stories. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I was really excited to share and see, you know, how far reach this can go if, you know, people are sharing podcasts and stuff. I know this kind of thing can go pretty viral, so we can reach a lot of people this way I really love that you guys are doing this is really great Mm -hmm. well and you're always welcome back anytime if you have other fun things that you're like oh I want (laughs) to it's been it's been a pleasure to chat with you so so very grateful and thank yeah thank your family for for letting us have a little slice of you this evening (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure we'll definitely do some more things
All right. Well, thank you. And hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. Thank you, ladies. We will talk soon. I look forward to it. All right. Bye. Bye.